Hello there, and welcome to Sweet Child of Time. I'm your host, Steve Barnes, and I'm sitting here with your host of one of my stories. I'm going to bring her in right now, and she is your host of one of my stories. It's Lindsay Dunn. Ahoy there, Lindsay. Ahoy, Steve. Methinks we're lost at sea without dark recaps. Arr. <laughs> so we're going to talk about dark some more. Arr. Yeah, why not? I mean, we can talk about it till the cows come home. We're going to do it one more time. Thank you for um, thank you for doing this. <laughs> yeah, we had to have a wrap-up, right? I mean, we met yes. through a wrap-up. We met through our first episode mm-hmm. we ever recorded together was an 1899 wrap Well, that was the second. The first was mm-hmm. an 1899 complaint session about Netflix <laughs> deciding not to renew it with Nate. Then we wrapped up 1899. So we're gonna wrap up dark, of course. Speaking of complaint sessions, yeah, on the on the dark uh, Discord earlier today, I was I was lamenting how there is no new news whatsoever about the show. Something is killing the children. That's supposed to be in production. Um, yeah. You know, our boy, um, who is that fella that does all those great shows like um, Haunting of Hill House? Um, Mike Michael. Flanagan. Mike Flanagan, he was originally supposed to be doing that show, Something is Killing the Children, and then he had a conflict of interest or hmm. something. He, he um, The show got handed over to Bo and Yante. There's been no new news since February of, that, of like them. There's like no write-ups about any casting or production notes or anything. Um, mm-hmm. It's... I'm worried. I'm, I'm very worried about that, Lindsay, because I want another Darkway show to come out. Yeah, me too. Yeah, Mike Flanagan, I believe the deal was that his last show with Netflix was um, the show that just came out. Yeah, the um, Edgar Allan Poe one. The ha- the, yeah. Uh, we it's know what it haunting, is. It's not a haunting of anything. It's uh... <laughs> the cask of Amarillo. No. <laughs> Something about oh, a house, though. That's a house involved. Oh, the fall of the house of Usher. Yes, that's There you go. Right. Thank you. Between yeah, the two of us. made up of all <laughs> the different short stories, but one, they giant turned to one giant narrative. He is, that was his last show, and he is now supposed to transition over to Prime Video. So he's going to yeah. be a shell for them from now on. And so then Netflix, <laughs> I guess that's when Netflix turned to Bo and Yatia, but. Yes, I I too keep doing the Google. Um, I was mm-hmm. I was hoping since the writers' strike ended mm-hmm. and the acting strike, there might be an update. But they could still be recovering from <laughs> the trauma <laughs> of eighteen ninety nine. I'm not sure. We can only yes. speculate. It is a recent wound. It really hasn't been that long. It's been like a year. And it seems like it's been longer, especially to us that have been like week to week, you know, checking it out. But yeah, it is a recent wound. Yeah, it does make me wonder if because they're they they really attempted, I feel, to stay so positive afterwards. There was no negative emotions expressed towards Netflix. But I, it does make me wonder if since then they've had a change of heart or have been like, no, we don't want to work with them anymore. Who, know, who knows? <laughs> I hate to, I don't like to spread rumors, but uh, so we're just going to say that 
There is I no, like, yeah, there's no updates. No updates TMZ at all. is listening. They're going to like clip our, <laughs> our words here and we'll make headlines. I don't want that. Uh, <laughs> we're doing dark chat today. You're my dark friend, Lindsay. That's why we're back. Um, <laughs> we're doing some dark chat today. And um, some of the things we're going to be talking about this episode is I had a wacky conspiracy theory about Inez. Um, we were going to talk, I was going to discuss Alt Martha's timeline um, and we were going to briefly touch on some things like the Stargate, um, maybe Agnes, Jonas, Mikkel's magic trick. Um, we really wanted to talk about some of the themes of the show and stuff like that. Um, and feedback. We have actually feedback, Lindsay, which is wonderful. And not only feedback, but some more sweet shot of time news as we made the charts in another country. Like <laughs> we, we don't make the charts in the United States, which is where we hail from, um, we're usually on the charts in like Germany, Saudi Arabia, Poland, and there's one country I'm forgetting. Um, but a new country has has risen. We're now charting in Israel. So, you know, I don't, I don't want to make anything political, uh, but I'm, I welcome all of our listeners. Thank you for listening to Sweet Shot of Time. I wish you all well. I hope you and your family and all your neighbors are well. Thank you for listening to Sweet Shot of Time over there. It's neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't looked at my charts lately. So that is that is good to hear that we've had some new listeners join in. And, you know, we before the before the episode started, you said we had some new some new friends we didn't realize that were knocking down the doors for more dark content. <laughs> so we're going to see what we can do. <laughs> That's right. It surprised me because, you know, once we completed um, our dark journey and we released the last recap, you know, I kind of plugged out there like, hey, we've done all these shows, so please check it out. And so I, I usually don't um, advertise on Discord, but I did for the dark group just to let them know that we had done it all. And um, a lot of people like chimed in. Sasura, I don't know if any of these people are male or female or whatever, but we have Sasura, Jimmy Gangster, Moody Blues, Green Has Risen, Angst, and Tigor. They all kind of chimed in and um, just gave us some suggestions, some of which we're going to talk about today. I think Green Has Risen suggested that we talk about the loop versus the one, what we call the one-timers club, whether it's like a, a timeline that's just that happens once or if it like happens over and over again, which is what the show kind of leads us to believe. Um, one of them asked us to go into that. So, of course, we will, you know, because mm -hmm. they asked, Lindsay. <laughs> Yeah, we'll talk about it. We give the people what they want. We try to. <laughs> we beg them to give us <laughs> ideas and feedback, and they they've done it. <laughs> we haven't we haven't given it away to any door prizes yet. We haven't given it away. That's not true. Promise that. <laughs> on the on the sweet child of time, um, wheel of time. Um, me and James gave away like the first six books in the wheel of time series to a listener. Which was a I lot remember. Of fun. I do remember that, but I meant dark specific things to dark. Yeah. We, but we haven't, we haven't like gotten that desperate yet, where we're saying, "Please write <laughs> us. We'll give away a re yellow rain jacket." <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, that's going big. I mean, actually, I think I have like a couple of yellow rain jackets in my closet, <laughs> just randomly that don't fit anybody. Mm. <laughs> I'm ready to get in some chat though. Um, do you want to start with the feedback or should I go into my um my conspiracy theory about Inez? <laughs> we can we can do the feedback. Okay. 
we uh, got a comment from Tania. And she actually left a couple comments, but one of them was just was reiterating how horrible Hannah was. We all we all know that. So, <laughs> but <laughs> there was one thing this she posted on the episode. Um, I'm going to share that in a minute. But the feedback is, I find it really strange that they picked Michael's suicide as the key moment that needs to be changed. It would make a lot more sense if it was Mickle going missing that started everything. Any thoughts? Now, to be clear, this was posted on the episode 2.6 episode, which is a favorite episode of our users. And in that episode, or actually maybe it was 2.5. Anyway, it was the episode where Adam tells Jonas, go into this globe this globe thing and travel back to the day that your father committed suicide that's the key moment if you stop that right then um then you'll stop everything from happening so it wasn't exactly what you were saying you were you made comments about the scene where they do the uh the parallel worlds and they showed Helge and Ulrich instead of Mikkel and you were commenting on that so we're not talking exactly about the same thing but it did strike me that oh this is interesting because because Steve kind of was was saying this as being a key moment so I I wrote back to this commenter but I wanted to know if you had something to say Steve before I do that well sure I mean Tania chose a more succinct um, point in time mm-hmm. involving Mikkel, which would be Michael's suicide. Cause that's like a, you know, it's a finality thing. A life ends, a bunch of lives are changed. Like, you know, I was thinking it would be more of like Mikkel going missing and coming out of that cave, because that's such like an iconic image of young Mikkel, you know, emerging from the cave at like in the wrong time zone. Um, so I was thinking, um, you know, Mickle traveling back in time just because Mickle just seems like he's the, um, the ideal like mascot of the show. Like we have kids like Elizabeth who are awesome too, but like that season one Mickle, like really, I don't know, just kind of, just kind of hammers it home. And just the fact that he's missing too, it makes you feel bad for him. So it's like everything involves around Mickle. So yeah. Tania picked a better point in Mickle's life, the father's suicide, because like it's kind of, like you said last episode, it's kind of vague. It's like Mickle disappears in the cave. Um, it's kind of like a weird point in time. Um, but I do think it should involve Michael and Mickle. I think that would just kind of it. It would just seem to make more dark sense, you know. Yeah, she she just she didn't think she wondered why Adam was saying go back to the day your father committed suicide instead of the day Mikkel went missing. She felt like they should go Mm -hmm. back to, she should have sent Jonas back to that point. Mm -hmm. Um, So what I said Mm -hmm. was, I think Mm -hmm. it all depends on whose perspective you are in. For Jonas, his father's suicide is where all the problems started. He later discovers that his father is Mikkel, and so the key moment to approach might change, as you say, but... Jonas is also young and wants to live. 
If Mikkel doesn't go missing, Jonas is never born and he ceases to exist. He's not ready to make that sacrifice yet. And maybe Adam knows that. So he focuses on the moment his life went sour. And this gets Hmm. back to that thing of putting yourself at the center of the story. Jonas thinks, (laughs) what can make this good for me instead of someone else? And as the story goes along, we discover that Hmm. for different characters, different moments are the key moments. But I think because we're still kind of in Jonas's POV, he's our main character for Jonas, the key moment was the father's hmm. suicide. He thought, he thought, if I can stop that from happening, I won't go to France. And I won't, right. I'll stay with Marta. She won't get mm-hmm. together with Bartosh. Uh, I won't know she's, I won't know, I, know, I won't know all this sick stuff anymore. So that's <laughs> kind of where he he's just kind of, He's trying to make life easy for himself, even though, yes, a more compassionate person might be like, you know, I'm going to save Mickle. And he honestly, mm-hmm. to, to his credit, he did try to save Mickle, but the stranger stopped him and said, <laughs> if you stop him, you're never born. So I don't think Jonas is ready to make that sacrifice yet. Now, by the end of the show, he is. Right. Right. Okay. And yeah, the Adam that sent him back to go back to the day his father committed suicide, I think, you know, Adam knew what he was doing at that time. He wasn't mm-hmm. exactly leading Eunice on a straight path. Mm-mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but I mean, t- the- uh, Tania, for, like, also, uh, I hope Tania's not listening to this, actually, because Uh-oh. that would be a spoiler <laughs> for her. Why? Oh, because she's cause she's farther back in this. Yeah, in the, uh, she's show on right episode now. two point two point five two point six right now. <laughs> so I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I didn't say Tania. We're going to talk about this on the show. So I didn't yeah, say no that joke. to her to, to them. Um, so yeah, hopefully, maybe they'll listen to it when they're ready to know. I the have truth. an idea. You could, you can, we can make like a burn a CD of this and then we could mail it to her and we could say, do not open before, and then give it like a specific date that will give her enough time to watch the show. You know, Mm kind of like the letter got passed down in time. We can do the same thing with, Mm -hmm. with Tania here. Delivered (laughs) in a wooden box. Love Mm -hmm. it. With the, with the tree of life on the cover of it. Speaking of which, Hey, that segues perfectly into like my next section. Is that okay for me to move on? Mm Mm-hmm. My next section involves that wooden box and the holder of that wooden box, which would be Inez Conwald. So I have to give a lot of credit here to um, Monica Cherokee, who I didn't see her them on the um, Discord, but they're definitely on the Reddit and they do a lot of interesting posts. And they were the person that first got me into this Inez theory, which the theory is in in the origin world, like in the world that created um, Martha and Jonas, that ca- the famous car crash. So, in the version of the world that Martha and Jonas do not stop the car crash from happening, and that car crash goes over the bridge, um, you know, we know that um, Sonia and Merrick both die, and that the baby was never found. 
presumed dead, of course, because it's a baby. It's a car crash. Um, but the baby's body was never found. Theory is, is that baby was found by Daniel Conwald and he adopted that baby and that baby grew up to be Inez. So this is the way I'm going to try to fill in the loops here. Cause I told um, this to Lindsay and Lindsay just straight out was not buying it at first. But um, then I think she did some research on her own and like, you might be more open to this conspiracy theory now. Is that right, Lindsay? No, it's not. But oh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, t- I'll respond after you've shared your theory, Steve. Okay, okay. This might be a bit long-winded because there's a lot to it. Um, because this is dark, okay? There's a lot of, lot of pieces here. The first piece is the, the family tree, the visual of the family tree. And if you want to look at this, I would suggest looking at the Eret Lutz family tree that's on the floor there like when Jonas dies and like the angel wings you can see the family tree okay on the Jonas's side on his side fourth up from the right you can see Daniel Conwald he appears just independently he's only connected to Inez so they just kind of pop up on that family tree out of nowhere Daniel Conwald connected to Inez, who Inez is then connected to Michael, of course. Over on Eva's side of the family tree, Daniel Conwald is in the exact same spot, but he's not connected to anybody. He's just hanging out there by himself. In both trees, there is no mother. It's just Daniel Conwald and Inez Conwald. Nobody else. So, that leads us to believe that Daniel adopted Inez because if there was a mother involved, her name would be here. So Daniel did like the single father thing. I guess that was cool back then. I don't know, but (laughs) he adopted Inez. So there's right. There is something that kind of connects them because Inez single mom adopted Mikkel. So that kind of connects Daniel and Inez in a real roundabout way. That's my first point. Uh, the second point would be the first time, and this is, the, I think, the most compelling argument, is the first scene that we see Inez, she's in the hospital, and um, another nurse comes up and says, can you cover my shift for me? And Inez is like, yeah, sure, you know, whatever. Um and then she's like, oh, keep a secret. And she like does a little thing and like, I'll lock in my lip. And she locks her lip. So we learn a couple things from that scene. First off, we learn that she doesn't have any family because um, she says so. Um, because the other lady's like, can you take my shift because you have no. And, and Inez is like, family? <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't have any family. Weird. Second thing about that is right above her name tag, right here by her heart, she carries a clock right there. You can see like there's a watch there and there's a clock there right next to her heart. And so when you think about watches in the show Dark, you of course think about Tanhouse, the watchmaker, um, the person who may or may not be, be her actual grandfather. Um, but we know that she keeps secrets as well. So I think that watch being right there and the way they show that she keeps a watch above her name tag, but no other nurse keeps a watch above her name tag the way Inez does. Then, here we go. They finish that conversation. Lady's like, thanks, Inez. You got my shift. 
Inez turns and walks down the hallway. The scene shifts. And as soon as the scene shifts, it shifts. She turns in to young Charlotte at that moment. You can see the scene like Inez is back on the hallway. Then it cuts to in perfect succinct motion. There is Charlotte riding her bike back in 1986 through the forest. So I'll stop right there and see and see if I have more points here I can make. But um, (laughs) what do you think so far? I mean, it's definitely an interesting theory. I, um, yeah, I wasn't, when I told you I found the theory, I wasn't necessarily saying I agreed with it, but I was saying, <laughs> okay, I see where this came from because my, my original, the reason I, I reacted so as I did, it's because the way you introduced this theory wasn't to say it was a theory. You were like, we know that Inez was adopted by Daniel Conwald. And I was like, we do? Uh, that is never said. That is not canon. Like you you correct it later, say it's your head canon. Um, I, am, I'm, I am looking at this family tree and I honestly can't see... I'm trying to read the name. Um, I believe, I believe actually you may have the people reversed the side. Um, okay. Okay. Because, because on the one side, on the left side, you were saying before you thought that Jonas's side world one was the right side, which is where we have Daniel and Inez by themselves. But on the left side, mm-hmm. That is where I see Inez is connected to Mikkel Nielsen. Mm-hmm. Um, because, but so that would tell me, side. that would actually tell me that the left side is World One. Yes, I was incorrect there. But I can't read the name above Inez Conwald. It's Daniel Conwald. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. I'd I mean, I looked at it. Different, I'd have I mean, to I get looked a at the image. Um, I wouldn't have wrote this down if I. Oh, no, I, I believe you. It looks like it says okay, okay. Jeanette or Kenneth or somebody, you know, which I'm like, who's that? <laughs> um, but yes, I'd have to see this picture. But I think, yeah, it's an interesting theory. I got more. I got more yeah, here. I know. I know you do. I know you do. <laughs> okay. Um, what was the first thing you said? You made the point about the family tree. Um, the other nurse. Okay, the family tree. The, shift, which, the yeah. clock that she keeps above her name tag. Um, turning into Charlotte while she walks down the hallway. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the body of the baby was was never discovered, so that kind of leads credence to my theory as well. Um, that that baby could have been picked up and cared for. Um, so we got the sick Mundus picture that's in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, which there's, there's no explanation for that. And who was like the first person that comes and visits Nickel when he's in the hospital is Noah. That's like the first person that Inez called. So there's a parallel established between either the hospital and sick Mundus or directly Inez and sick Mundus. Mm-hmm. So another thing is, um, this is just grasping at straws, but we know that her, her image is torn from the Conwald family, um, picture. 
similar to how she's just kind of torn out of the story, how her, she's just, like I said, she appears out of nowhere in this family tree. Like she was torn from where she once was. I'm stretching. <laughs> Sonia and Inez have a strong resemblance. The two actresses that play those two characters have a very strong resemblance. There is no like mole on Sonia's face, which is true, but they do have very similar faces. And there's, I want to wrap this up with saying that some quotes from our heroes themselves, Yante. Yante says that they are big believers in ambivalence. They like to leave clues for their viewers to pick up. There's a lot more of this story to tell, but we don't want to fill in all those gaps. And then Baron says that our audience is smart and likes puzzles. So we like to leave puzzles for them to figure out. So Mm-hmm. Just because they're like that. The the writers of the show are like that. So it's, um, that's pretty much all the evidence that I have. I think the strongest stuff was at the beginning. I should have saved that for the end. Cause that's what you're supposed to do is <laughs> start with your least compelling evidence <laughs> and then build up to the best stuff at the end. But, um, I don't know. It makes sense to me. It's a conspiracy theory and there's no way to confirm it or deny it. So deny it if you want, listeners. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm all ears. Yeah, I think also because dark audiences are like they are, we do tend to look for conspiracies <laughs> and and that's yes. <laughs> and there's room to do that. So as far as if Inez is really baby Charlotte. You know, I think for me, the main the main thing is the mole is not there. And, you know, it looks like so I actually left mm, a comment okay. on Monica, che- Monica, Monica Cher- Cherokee's post. And I'm like, where's the mole? However, there is okay. this facial thing that I mentioned. I remember I mentioned it last week and you didn't say anything mm-hmm. about it. But I guess it's because you're like, I'm sticking with my Inez theory. But. <laughs> I had I had seen a theory that the baby has a cleft lip, like the unknown. Not that saying the baby is the unknown, but that's another, mm-hmm. just a tie that Tanhouse left from his world into these these split worlds. The baby also has blue eyes. Now I know most people say like yes. babies yes. have blue eye baby all babies have blue eyes and they can grow into brown. Right. But the yeah, the similarity to the similarity of the actresses isn't the most compelling stuff just because like Marta also looked like Doris Tiedemann, but they're no relation. Sure. I just, I think that what I've noticed is a lot of Bo and Yantia's stars look a lot alike. They seem to have a certain look. They like strong <laughs> female faces. So I think a lot of their actresses actually look, a lot alike and the way they act even some of their facial expressions are often a lot alike so i think they okay. they kind of have a certain brand so that's that's not strong but i do agree the sick mundus thing is is compelling stuff i just always assume that um you know noah is because he's the new priest in town that mm-hmm the church and the hospital are somehow connected. Mm-hmm. And so he's 
made sure to infest the entire hospital with Sigmundus <laughs> paraphernalia <laughs> and signs from his cult, as you yeah. would if you were a member of a cult. Because I do remember that scene where Mickles holding the picture, the Emerald Tablet picture, and yeah. he brought it into his hospital bed and he thought that was really soothing for him. So, I remember you mentioned how weird yeah. it was that it was soothing to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's yeah, and the watch on her chest is definitely interesting. So I'm not gonna poo-poo your your theory um too bad. <laughs> I don't I don't completely buy it, but that's the fun of having a co-host. Yeah. Good counter arguments too. Like the eye color thing. Yeah, I admit that's um that's a good argument against. The cleft lip, I don't I didn't respond because I need to go back and look at that baby. I don't remember the baby having a cleft <laughs> lip. So I can't, I can't confirm nor deny that. Um, yeah. That's, that's, if it does, that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, what would that even mean if the baby did have a cleft lip? Mm -hmm. Like, because the baby was obviously con conceived, has the DNA of Sonia and, um, uh, what's his name? Merrick. Ba well, that baby in the origin world, but this is the, this is which we're in the origin world. But mm -hmm. again, like I said, that I have a theory that I'm going to share later about Tanhouse's trauma and he how he might have infested Adam and Eve's world with his trauma. So if that was the case, then he just imprinted aspects from his life into each of the characters of dark. Right. And so the fact the that the baby mm. has a cleft lip, okay. if that's, if that's our, um, if that's our symbol for baby. And that was, <laughs> that was Tanhouse's most important baby. And there's this baby that a key baby that's in Martin Eunice's world. And also Sonia and Merrick, Jonas and Marta are supposed to be parallels or could be parallels for Sonia yes. and Merrick and that's sure. their child. So, Oh, yeah. the un Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes a perfect parallel. Actually, if it does have a cleft lip like that, I, I want to see this. I mean, I really, so who was that baby then? Like, because the, the baby in Jonas's world, not the origin world, of course, turned out to be Charlotte. Um, well, the Charlotte, you know, mm, showed no. up on his doorstep. <laughs> no, no, that's right. That's right. The DNA of that baby would yeah. be, be Tanhouse DNA and Sonia yeah. DNA. Oh, so, I have actually, I have one more thing about Inez I wanted to mention because I, um, that's, that's kind of related to this also okay. is that later I'm, I'm going to talk more about episode 1.8, the, where the Tanhouse and the stranger have the have the conversation sure and when in that in that episode they're cutting a lot between 1953 and between the stranger and 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 Tanhouse. and so there's actually a scene this is when Ulrich goes back and he's in Tanhouse's shop and he's like are you hg Tanhouse?" and he shows him the book and he's like what year is mm -hmm. it and then who comes in but Yana and Inez mm -hmm. as young children. And so when I saw that, I was like, oh, this is interesting with 
Steve's theory. You know, I kind of wanted mm-hmm. to see how that interaction played out. And there was really nothing that I was like, okay, maybe there's a clue that could help support Steve's theory. And because uh, Tanhouse is like, uh, Inez, how is, um, you know, that's where she's telling him that these boys have been, these boys' bodies have been found on the construction site. Mm-hmm. And he just greets them and says, here's your father's watch. Inez, because that's that's what she's picking up is her father's watch that Tanhouse has fixed. And I thought they might, you know, do something mm-hmm, with their mm-hmm. characters if there was a clue. And I, I couldn't pick anything out. But so, yeah, <sighs> I'm glad you looked, though. I mean, that's <laughs> I'm glad I at least got in, got a little earworm in your in your brain and you're. <laughs> You're yeah, looking for clues if I can be convinced, me. I'm like, I'm yeah, all for a con- conspiracy theory. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sue, yeah, which, where where do you want to lead to next year? Do you want to stick with um, stick with Tanhouse and Inez? Do you want to move on to a different member of the Winding crew? Um, I think you were going to talk next about Marta. Sure, that involves me doing like a lot of talking, if you're okay with that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. Um, So what was your goal in in doing like the, what were you looking for with the Marta timeline? To try to figure out um, at which point Martha's diverged. Mm. Because we're talking about basically three different Marthas and two different Jonases here. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are all world two, Martha, forget that world one. We don't like her anymore. We only want world two, Martha with the bangs. Mm-hmm. So the best way I could figure out how to, how to like differentiate between these two Marthas is we have world two, Martha, we have world two, a Martha, and then we have alt Martha, alt Martha is who becomes Eva. Martha 2A is the one that's killed by Adam. And mm. there's also two Jonases. There's Jonas A and Jonas B. Those are a little easier to like figure out. Mm. But I think the best place to start is when um, Martha, let's see, where did, I, where did I start at in my list here? When Martha 2 meets Jonas A for the first time, when Martha World 2 meets that first Jonas that travels back, because remember, this Jonas was saved by Alt Martha. Mm-hmm. And then Alt Martha took him to World 2 and then bailed on him. Mm-hmm. So then yep. he went and met Martha, the, uh, Martha, who I'm calling Martha 2, not mm-hmm. Alt Martha, who just bailed him. This is just World 2 Martha. Yeah. So they hook up together, they travel to the future, they meet Stranger Martha. And like the, when they meet in the desert world or whatever, after the apocalypse. So he shows Martha to the future. Then at that point, they go to Eva's. There, Jonas A is killed by Alt Martha. Alt Martha comes out of the shadows. Martha 2 is here. And they watch Jonas get killed. So then at that point, Martha 2 goes on a mission to go save Jonas. This is where she diverges. She becomes Martha 2A and Alt Martha. Because let's say she becomes Alt Martha. 
that's when she actually does not save Jonas. Alt Martha is the Martha that is whisked away by Bartosh, right? Mm -hmm. The Martha that did not save Jonas. So she travels back with Bartosh. She gets a scar. She meets the unknown. She gets hugged. She eventually, no, no, I'm sorry. She doesn't meet the unknown and get hugged. She gets that scar. She kills Jonas A, and then she ultimately becomes Eva. Meanwhile, Jonas does get saved by Martha 2A, this other Martha. She is the one that gets sent back to 1899 by Adam, meets stranger Jonas. She's the one that gives the dark matter to stranger Jonas. Then she goes back to Adam and Adam kills her because he's like, Martha, you're the origin. She's the one that gets um, pregnant and gets killed. So that's how these two are differentiated. Did that make sense? Yeah. They're both pregnant. Like both Correct. Marta, yes. Marta, all Correct. Marta and Marta 2A are about both that. pregnant. <laughs> they both get it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, because they don't diverge until like afterwards. Mm -hmm. And when they become two Marthas afterwards, and then two embryos, I suppose, they split up too. And yeah, those two Jonases also like have different fates too. Like the Jonas A, who's saved by Alt Martha, he's ultimately killed by Alt Martha. The other Jonas, Jonas B, the one that survives the apocalypse and works with Claudia, becomes Stranger Jonas. Um, saves Magnus and Bartosh and Francisca and all them. Um, he eventually kills Hannah and becomes Adam. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I think think that's it. That's all my notes on that. That took, that was a lot quicker than I thought it was going to be. I thought it'd be more complicated, but that's that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any questions? <laughs> Probably five. No, I don't have any questions because I did do this myself uh, a few episodes ago because I was so confused about just oh, trying in the to podcast? track. No, just like oh. to understand to understand the show myself. Mm -hmm. No, I was trying to see how they were all connected, and what was interesting was the people that the Marta and the Jonas that died. The sweet thing about the, the dead ones is they didn't become <laughs> the evil people. They died That's right. sort of innocent and kind and loving each other. That's right. But then once that version died, they needed to deal with whatever version. <laughs> the, uh, uh, the other, like Jonas would keep interacting with whatever version of Marta he was given. And the same for Marta. They, they, um, there's this, you know, you might think they say, oh, it's a perfect match. Never believe anything else. Well, which version are you talking about? Well, they all are. Mm. If one. Uh, okay. Because otherwise you'd say only the non-bang Martha will survive or suffice. <laughs> like the Martha bangs, not bang. <laughs> but, um, hey, that was your slip, not mine. <laughs> That you might be like, okay, well, they're no longer, he was only soulmates with that Marta. But that's not true because whichever Marta he was given, 
we have to remember like this the marta that he ended up working with is the marta that most actually related to him because she could relate to the struggle of trying to save the world and trying to save her family members whereas the other marta never had to deal with that the most stress she had to deal with was she wanted to make out with Jonas again, you know, so <laughs> her, her suffering wasn't really relating to Jonas's, but the newer Martha, the other versions of Marta could. So they became his perfect match. And so, um, and then at the end we have, we have almost another version of Marta, although she's tied in there with all mm -hmm, of, mm -hmm. all of your versions as well. And I know Marta herself felt kept feeling slighted <laughs> because Jonas seemed to only want that one Marta. And she would be like, you know, why can't you pick me? Um, <laughs> except at the end. And, he, you know, he finally says, we are a perfect match. Never believe anything else. And they're both on the same page. So that's that's really that's really nice. But. It's it'd be easy to get stuck on. Well, oh, we only need this Marta. We only want this Jonas. But those were the innocent versions, and those innocent versions terminated, and these other ones were there. They were the ones that existed in that space. I'm stuck back on thinking about soulmates now. When you said like you know, like we're perfect for each other, and like any version of either one. That, that got my head thinking about the fact that um, even though we have like, you know, five Marthas and four Jonas's, they're all stemmed like from the same person, whether we're talking world one or world two. Mm -hmm. So like, wouldn't theoretically it be like the same soul, like the same like inner person in each of these people? Like that's, no matter which Jonas you look at, it's going to be the same soul. Yeah, that's true. The only thing where that gets sticky is that in a way there, there, there aren't really two Jonases because there's only one world one Jonas. There is no world two Jonas and there is a world okay, one and a yes. world two Marta. So Correct. I guess I almost think of them as separate however where we get where it gets tricky is gonna come with the stargate scene and which version right. of marta did Jonas really first fall in love with <laughs> well, yeah do Jonas and marta for... even get <laughs> do they even get souls like do they even <laughs> because they don't exist you know like in in like the uh if the origin world is for real, that means that Jonas and Martha and like this whole litany of people like no longer exist at all. Mm -hmm. So did they ever have a soul? <laughs> I would like to think yes, in some sense, but it's, um, it's just an interesting mm. concept, I suppose. Well, speaking of interesting concepts, let's talk about yeah. Agnes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 Agnes, I remember um, she came to the door and Egon Tideman was there and they were having a little brief conversation 
and Egon asked her who her grandmother was. She was getting ready to answer or maybe getting ready to like divert the question <laughs> when the um they got interrupted somehow. Mm-hmm. So that that question was never answered. Like you know, she never answered his question. But we know who the we know what the answer is because Agnes's parents are pretty her her you know, tree is pretty easy to point out here. We know who her parents are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just wanted to. T- I just wanted to touch base with that because yeah. of the the fact that it's one of those mysteries like Wooler's Eye. Except you mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. actually figure this one out. Yeah, that's right. It's like her her parents obviously are um, Bartosh and Silja, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that would mean her grandparents. I'll say the grandparents on Silja's side, which is the interesting one, mm-hmm. I think. Um, her grandparents would be Egon Tiedemann <laughs> and Hannah. Yeah. So Hannah would be her grandmother. Yeah. On one <laughs> side anyway. But she has another grandma too. Everybody has two grandmas theoretically. Yeah. Our other grandmother is Regina. Everybody loves Regina. So, <laughs> and Alexander, who do you think she would have but... answered? <laughs> do you think she knew like about her own lineage at that time, and she knew the answer to the question, but was just dodging it? I don't know. I'm assuming she does know who it is, yeah. but it was just it was just funny when you go back and go, Egon, you're her grandfather. Yes. <laughs> You're asking the question that, like, like how who did she I, possibly? Who was that woman that I that I courted with that night? Do you know what her name is? <laughs> yeah, it was just a fun little little uh, little dark mystery. It's, no it's an easy mystery. one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's an easy one. I know, like, there was lots of lingering questions that you had in your in your recaps. And that must have been one of them. And so we got the answer finally. <laughs> we wouldn't have known the answer, though, until what? Um, episode seven of season three. That's when we're finally like, we finally figure that timeline out. Yeah, they really save a lot of stuff for season three. And I guess that makes sense that they would yeah. do that. But a lot of the <laughs> biggest and most interesting reveals are saved for that very end. So you... Yeah, you have to wait a while, That which is the frustrating thing is because that episode was, you know, one. it was 1.8. Apparently, I didn't realize that. But mm-hmm. today, looking at that episode again, I'm like, it was that long ago. By the time you finish the show, you're not going to remember. The, you're probably mm-hmm. not going to remember that fact unless you do a dark rewatch and sit there and pour over everything and go, oh, yeah, here, you know, this is <laughs> this is what that means. So and that's our people, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so the same thing with this, you know, I mapped out this Jonas family tree that mm-hmm. was interesting, and that popped up some stuff that I didn't realize. Some of it I did, but then some of the connections that I yeah, found. Yeah, what you got? Well, because we everybody knows that Ulrich is, is Jonas's grandfather because mm-hmm. his father is Michael. He also has a grandfather that 
we never get to meet, which is Hannah's father. That seems nice. You know, he does laundry. He well, he oh, walks yeah. downtown. He looks like a hippie. That's right. I forgot about that yeah. guy. <laughs> um, but his grandfather is Ulrich, and his grandmother is Katarina. But also, mm-hmm. Ulrich is also his great grandson. His great grandson. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You're okay. Yes. Yeah. You're. Uh, I think you skipped a generation there, right? <laughs> well, yes. I'm going to have to. It's really easier to um, put. A, maybe Steve can put a link to the to this family tree and the recap in the thing. But look at it when you get a chance because it's really interesting. Because we have Ulrich's fa- father is of course Trant, mm-hmm. and then Trant is also his grandson because. Jonas and Marta got together, had the unknown. The unknown got together with Agnes. Mm -hmm. And they had Trant. And then Trant and Jana had Ulrich. So it's almost like there was this whole statement about the labyrinth and you have to get to the center. And that's how I feel about this family tree. (laughs) Is they it? say like in the center, like you find yourself too. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and then Silja is both his half sister and his great, great, great grandmother because she's Agnes's mother. So it's just, it hurts your head to think about it. And, and he's, a, he's actually related also distantly to Bartosz and of course, uh, Regina and and Alexander, who's actually Boris Newald, and then Claudia and Burned are up there at the tippy top, and then above Claudia is Egon and Doris. So the I only I need you to back me up a second. Mm-hmm. You said, um, "How did Alexander get in there?" Oh, because of Bartosh, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Tron's wow. parents are the unknown and Agnes. Agnes's yes. parents are Bartosz and Sildra. And then uh, Bartosz's parents are Boris and Regina. <laughs> and then Regina's parents are Claudia and Burned. And then Claudia's parents are Egon. And so Egon's <laughs> actually on there twice as well. Although he's only connected really through Sildra. Um, and you know, Sildra being Jonas's half sister, right? So he's only on there. He's not really a genetic relation that direction. It's just that he's her parent. Oh, but he's like the, the only, only one that was left out. <laughs> yeah, the only people that aren't that I really don't that I couldn't find a connection to would be Peter's family. Right. And and Helge and that and that lot. But everybody else seems to be related to you know, now Jonas. Now Francisca gets brought in through N- Magnus. Um but they never have any kids. So Right, 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 right. If um, they did though, that would completely like tie the knot. Among all the characters, they would all be family at that point. If um, Magnus and Friska did like have mm-hmm. a baby together, 
they actually and i don't i i didn't plot this out i would one maybe that'll be my next <laughs> dark project who knows maybe i'll make everybody's family tree but apparently magnus and francisca are related somehow they're like cousins um didn't, and I can't didn't you just exactly. establish that that the peter family is not related to to jonas Oh, but to Magnus, because Magnus and Jonas are related. Yeah, I'd have to. So like, they would be like twice. Somebody, removed. They would be somebody like a twice mentioned. Removed. <laughs> I think there's also there's also Noah. Also, don't forget that Noah's in that family as well. The Peter family. I mean, the Dopplers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like the reason burned is existing because you could be like oh well through burned wouldn't wouldn't uh helge and peter be connected but helge is not the natural child of burned so he's off in his own little country <laughs> <laughs> but kind of like yeah. daniel conwald <laughs> i did not research magus and francisca but i know i saw in a previous Reddit or something that they showed how they were related and it was kind of horrifying. They were like, all the couples are basically related. I need <laughs> to look into that for my for my <laughs> own good. I need to look into that. So I don't know if we'll talk about that on a podcast, but I gotta check that out. So yeah. I will. <laughs> it's fascinating stuff if you really wanna get into it. Now a couple things a couple of things I wanted to bring up was something from the very first episode and something from the very last episode. Okay. I want to go back to the very first episode because um, we wanted to talk a little bit about some foreshadowing and mm -hmm. a big part of that is uh, with Mickle, of course, his, mm -hmm. his magic trick. What do you have to tell us about that Mickle magic trick? The yellow and the blue cup thing that he did or were the yellow and the blue, the balls. That, no, there's a you know he does a magic trick and there's a pawn and we That's did a it. quiz yeah. i gave steve a quiz in the first after the first season of dark and i quizzed him on certain things i wanted him to remember because i was like oh this will be cool if he you know remembers this magic trick exactly but uh, Bo and Yantia actually have a video, which I didn't know existed, but they talk about this, where he has the yellow cup and the blue cup. The pawn moves from the yellow cup, which is the present, 2019, the high school, the power plant, mm -hmm. to the blue cup, 1986, the blue wallpaper room. So that's just a right, visual right. cue that the, that the director and the writer put into that scene so you would see like you this foreshadowing that there was going to be time travel from yellow to blue that's so wild and it's a pawn <laughs> poor little mickles just a pawn in all this and that makes a lot of sense too and he's also also mickles wearing that you know the skeleton outfit and then he's gonna you know michael dies so it's it's just they put two visual cues in that scene to tell you more about this that character that you won't have confirmed until <laughs> later on in the show. Yeah, but that, I mean, I definitely would not have caught that on my own 
whatsoever. Like the like the yellow cup going to the blue cup, um, two thousand nineteen going to eighty six. Uh, that's warms my heart. <laughs> I like it a lot. It's neat. But yeah, what about that last scene? Like <laughs> that's what I, um, something else we wanted to go into as well. From the that's the first episode. The last episode, of course, is when they um, they see the bridge. <laughs> what are the, what kind of bridge is it? The Dunning Bridge. I, I can't remember the exact name of the bridge, but when they get to going that um, outside of time, when they're in their Stargate, that's what we call it, the Stargate. But I know the technical word for it is Kruger's Bridge, Dunning's Bridge. I don't know. I can see Lindsay typing furiously. She's I'm not typing anything. I thought I thought it oh. was Einstein Rosen Bridge. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. So Lindsay didn't even have to look it up. She looked in her brain and she got it. The Einstein Freddy Krueger's bridge. bridge. Yep. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense too. It's the bridge to the dream world. That's <laughs> well. That's kind of like what. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I think to to start with this, I wanted to talk about episode 1.8 because that's sort of foreshadowing towards what happens here and it'll it'll move nicely into that gotcha so as part of 1.8 scene episode 1.8 tanhouse tells the stranger that it is his fate to be in the clock shop um that he used to want more he used to want to travel through time Mm -hmm. but he knows that he's meant to be in this shop here and now to be with Charlotte. She, he doesn't say that, but he says that later to Charlotte. Yeah, he implies it, yeah. So one could theorize that this tan house in World 1 is playing a role given him by his true maker, the real tan house in the origin world. He was slated to okay. play a part the day that the two worlds were created. It could also be origin tan house projecting onto his World 1 conduit that he needs to treasure the person that he is caretaker for more than anything else because the original tan house did not do that didn't take care of his family and he lost them so this right. tan house is like no i need to take char- care of charlotte i'm this is where i meant to be and all stability that. yes right yeah i also noticed that in that show in that episode sorry the clocks all say 1105. Hmm. Okay. The very first time that Stranger Jonas walks into the shop, it says 1105. And then later on, after they after the episode is halfway through, they show the clocks again and it is still 1105 after they've been sitting there talking. <laughs> so I, wait, are you trying to say that it's possible that they were like in the uh, Einstein Rosen bridge during that conversation as well? That's, that's what I'm thinking now that wow, like time seems to have stopped still in Tannhaus's clock shop. Um, because, oh, so you, oh, so you're saying he always exists kind of outside of time. Right, because this actually wasn't thinking this contributing, but I was like, now I see this could even be further proof because I was like, oh, let me go now to the last episode 
when we meet Merrick and Sonia and see what time the clocks say then, because originally <laughs> I thought they said 11.05 because okay. that's when the accident happens. That's what I thought maybe that the, the clocks were frozen on 11.05 because that's when his chi child died okay. and that he had chosen to sense. stop the clocks or something. That's where my brain yeah. originally went. But when we sure. went to, when we went to, um, that episode, the very final episode, the clocks all say a different time. One of them says 11.05, but the other ones say anything from 3.45 wow. to 6.30. So every clock says a different time. <laughs> okay. And so I'm that makes you. me think, now mm -hmm. I'm thinking this is even further proof that the fact that the clocks all said 11.05 in episode 1.8 <laughs> means that this shop is frozen in time and i don't have I any proof of that other than why are these clocks all say this and later on they all say different times that that makes a lot of sense because it's like the possibilities are endless it could be 1105 if another world if if something else were to happen the trajectory were to change it would be, you know, 2.15 in another world, and then he would be stuck at that time. Or maybe if the trajectory went a different way, it would be like, you know, 12.12 in another world, and he would be stuck there. That makes a ton of sense because we, <laughs> I'm thinking back to when we've talked about Tan House, and we're like, we're not really exactly sure, like, what year this is that they're talking. And, like, sometimes it's really not clear. And there's no like real clear indicator because we see yeah. stranger Jonas who time travels. And then we see tan house who just, you can't tell how old he is ever. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm, I'm loving this. I I'm believing this, that, <laughs> that the, that the, that the trajectory that, that they went to, you know, have that accident and to create these, these different worlds, he got stuck in the 1105 time frame. Yeah. I don't now, know. How what, would that... I don't know what to make of it. This wasn't even what I was looking for. You know, I was, I was wanting to yeah. study the dialogue of that episode and see like how they foreshadowed the finale, which they do. And I have some material for that that I'll share, but I just wanted to mention this, this other point first. Cause I'm like, okay, what's going on with the clocks? And I didn't have time to go see, when he has the conversation with Charlotte, for instance, does it show a clock? And when, and when they show in episode oh the between the time episode, I know they show his shop. So, like, what time did the clock say then? So it might <sighs> it might be that I'm that I'm jumping the gun here, but I just thought that was interesting that all the clocks said eleven o five, and then later in the episode they still say eleven o five. So I'm just like, that's so interesting. Yeah, I can't wait to see this for myself. And like you said, <laughs> yeah, they, what... they like puzzles, so they it's not. It's not an accident that yes. they did that. Um, so then continuing on, mm -hmm. yeah, the, what I was looking for was how did their conversation, could it have maybe foreshadowed the finale? So they talk about the Einstein-Rosen bridge, which is the passage between the black hole and the white hole, and it connects time and space. And then later they say, our thinking is shaped by dualism, entrance, exit, black, white, good, evil, but that's wrong. And then he says, have you ever heard of the Triketra? 
And this is where they're talking about nothing is complete with a third dimension without a third dimension. And this is the same speech Claudia used in the fin- finale when she's talking to Adam and he says, the Triketra. <laughs> so he's probably remembering that exact moment in his life when he was mm-hmm. Stranger Jonas talking to Tanhouse. And that was an important conversation and he forgot and t- mm-hmm. <laughs> it forgot all about it. Right. And in between, interestingly enough, when they're in between this conversation, we cut to scenes between Ulrich and Helge. And I found that interesting because they cut to Ulrich and Helge in the finale episode. They show them in the parallel worlds. And what are they doing in episode one? 1.8. 1.8. What is Helge and um, Ulrich? Well, this what are is they, when, what exactly this are they doing? when Ulrich goes back to 1953 and, and kills or tries to kill little Helge to stop, to stop time. And so the note I wrote down is we have Ulrich and we have Helge. Ulrich, a father who loses his son and Helge, a son who wanders away from home because he's not appreciated by a parent who is harsh and unyielding. Now, Tanhouse isn't harsh and unyielding. He's more stoic and, and, mm-hmm. and a little bit forgetful. But also, old Helge dies when, dies when his younger self kills him in a car crash. So I was thinking right. Ulrich and Helge very much coincide with, with Tanhouse and Merrick. Sure do. And didn't you say those car crashes happened at the exact same spot, too? Yeah. And I'm also curious, uh, one thing, again, I didn't have time to look into everything, but I wondered the car, Helge is driving a station wagon, and I was trying to remember Mm -hmm. what kind of car Merrick was driving when they get into the car crash in the last episode. But, I mean, of um, course, I want to say station wagon because that's like what my brain is like telling me to say, but it probably is not. But it'd be yeah. great if it was. It's <laughs> like you're you're you're. It's like doing suggestion to my mind, and like my mind is like visualizing Merrick and Sonia in a station wagon now. Yeah, <laughs> want it to be a station wagon really badly, but yes, that's right. Um, the, and then in the speech, they talk about the stranger and and Tannhaus then talk about a wormhole connects three dimensions. They show Ulrich in the cave and then Tannhaus says there's more than two, there's more than two dimensions. There's more than two passages. They show the passage and they show the place where the third world opens up in the last episode. So again, they're foreshadowing that. (laughs) And a really interesting Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, like, I, I know that like when they were writing this show, when they wrote season one, because when I went to read some of this stuff about Inez, like they said that they didn't have the ending 100% mapped out. They had some things that could kind of go either way with their story. Hmm. But with this, it looks like a clear indicator that they... (laughs) <laughs> that this 1.8 episode, they they definitely had the ending in mind um, because it seems like it's so clear cut. Everything that you're saying definitely matches up with what happens in the last episode and the bridge that they're on and the three worlds. And 
it seems to me like they like they had they had that scene in mind um, when they began this project. You would think <laughs> you would think they did. I mean, <clears throat> it it make it shows so much thought and so much detail. But um, then Tanhouse talks about imagine you are standing in an infinitely large dark room, shining a light to oh your my left. God. Yes. <laughs> yeah, please go on. I love this. The wormhole, inside the wormhole, it's bent and the light comes from behind. And I'm just like, okay, mm-hmm. Marta and Jonas are in an infinitely large dark room mm-hmm. in that Stargate scene. <laughs> they both back up into each other. So there's kind of the mention of light coming from behind. And right. they find the they find the passage to the third world by backing up, and they see the yes. light. Then it kind of opens up. So it's not an exact match, but I'm just saying there's a lot of stuff that, that oh, it's a match. <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> well, you were saying like the thing about like the the empty room and like the light. I was like, I'm just picturing in my head exactly <laughs> what we saw in the last episode. And he has the paper and he shows the mm-hmm. light being bent and pokes the pencil through and there's a guy and it's just the fact that, and also he's saying it to stranger Jonas and saying, imagine you were standing in an infinitely large dark room. And then of course that's exactly what Jonas does. So um, yeah, it's just bizarre. And I'm, I'm guilty. I'm guilty, Lindsay of like, you go back and listen to our recaps. I'm I'm thinking about it now. Like all the times I've been like, Oh, they're talking again. <laughs> they're going off on their dumb rants about whatever. And those dumb rants are like, what, you know, ties everything together and what they're not just put there randomly. I mean, sometimes it seems like they really like hammer like the same concept over your head like a million times Mm -hmm. and it's like yeah i get it just because you have a different character telling me this yeah i'm with you now Mm -hmm. but i mean i remember this scene and i remember like thinking like geez i mean this stuff is interesting i guess but i mean i like it but Mm -hmm. i think we were both saying like how boring it was (laughs) and it was a masterpiece in the making (laughs) Yeah, it's it's the kind of thing you don't see. It's brilliant until until later. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so then, talking a little bit more about the wormhole Stargate scene and what it might mean. Mm. So, Adam, and this is something you asked last week. You were like, "Yeah, I don't get this scene," and then you said, "What I tried to explain made you more confused," and I felt bad. So I looked at some theories <laughs> on Reddit. Okay. And was trying to help myself and you be able to talk about this a little more. So okay, um, taking this from a user on Reddit called Gearon, he says, Adam tells Jonas that he won't be able to find the origin world unless they go together, being Jonas and Marta. This mm-hmm. scene shows why. Jonas has to appear before the child Marta, possibly in infinite realities, and Marta has to similarly appear before the child Jonas. 
This is planting the seed for them to feel deja vu towards each other and to get attracted. Without this attraction, hmm. the rest of the series wouldn't work. Notice how oh. they only see the way to the third world after they both make their appearances to their child counterparts. This is because both of them have fulfilled their obligation to plant the seed for their relationships. They can't close the loop in their own world until they have done so. You might ask, okay, but what about cause and effect? If you're currently in the forked timeline, isn't whatever they do irrelevant to the original timeline? The answer is that the tunnel represents existing outside of time itself, so it's not bound by cause-effect relationship. They aren't in any particular reality. I believe they're interacting with all realities simultaneously. They both plant the seed that sparks their relationship, and then they are allowed to leave. In a way, this is also a paradox. The eventual destruction of their worlds was the seed for their loops. The end is the beginning. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, the fir the first like half of that. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I really latched on to. Um, I, I kind of started again, I kind of started getting lost towards the end. Mm -hmm. But at the beginning there, that that makes a lot of sense. Like that explains why World Two Martha feels like she knows Jonas. Because it was like it's like a core memory that she had as a kid. Mm -hmm. Kind of like I have my core memories that like, you know, kind of defined me. And so them glimpsing each other. Yeah. Kind of like instills that core memory in each other. So they will always be drawn to each other. Um, I think I just, maybe, maybe I did like a too long, didn't read right there for you, but mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that makes a lot more sense to me now because it, it, it just, yeah, like I said before, it, it was adorable, but I didn't really get it. Um, I think I'm getting it now. I'm glad you brought it back up because that makes a lot more sense to me now. I think the the Stargate scene and how you feel about that and what you think, why you think that's important, is directly related to how you feel about loop versus one time. Oh, because yeah. I, that's why I think the second part of that speech that I read, that comment is not quite resonating with you because I believe this person is, is saying that they think this is a different time. Um, but there are other people that this other person says uh, – that actually the Stargate scene means something a little bit different. That, yes, it means that they had to be attracted to each other for this to work. However, um, they're also looping in here that Claudia, why Claudia says that it's the first time they're having this conversation. And this is by Michael Scott. <laughs> <laughs> this user is the, the, this next comment I'm going to read. But yes, I agree okay. with you. The first the first comment I liked how the importance is that they they've always done this, you know, that they always saw each other's kids. So it's not a one time mm -hmm. thing. So he says, by taking advantage of the moment when time stops, Claudia creates her own parallel reality. She has a conversation with Adam and says that it is happening for the first time. 
And we can't really blame her for thinking so because from her perspective, that's true. Mm -hmm. That's right. But remember, this conversation with Adam is both happening and not happening. In her new reality, she enlightens Adam on how Jonas and Altmarta can finally untie the knot. But in her other reality, she never has this conversation at all. We don't get to see the end of this other reality, but Eva tells us that Adam kills her and her body is found by her younger self. From right. here, we can presume the rest of the events of the loop take their course and loop on as usual. What we do see, however, is Claudia's new parallel reality play out. Adam teaches Jonas about the loophole. Jonas saves Alt-Marta and they travel to the origin world. Just like when Alt-Marta saved Jonas and didn't save Jonas. Claudia had her conversation with Adam and she didn't have her conversation with Adam. Once again, both of these things happen and from a perspective of non-linear non time have always happened. There is now a reality where the loop cycles on as usual and there is a reality where the loop leads to an exit point for Jonas and Alt-Marta and both of these realities exist simultaneously. And this is why I joined... Hmm team one time because of this one little paragraph because <laughs> i wow. was like that makes a lot of sense and that leads into schrodinger's cat but i want to go ahead and give you a chance to respond okay I, I think one of the um one of the problems that i've noticed or one of the things that we keep talking about when we talk about the loop is people refer to it as a time loop and i think that's the wrong terminology I think it's more of a, a loop of causality where like you go to a previous time and you cause something to happen and that, you know, will create a loop, which doesn't continue. There's no definite like stop or start of any time that we can measure. In anybody's life. I mean, you can say birth, death, sure. But I mean, we have like a whole world here full of like, you know, billions of souls. So there's really, you know, no like. Let me read what I wrote here. <laughs> that might, might help me. And mm -hmm. this, I really liked when you said from Claudia's perspective, that's the first time it happened to her. Because I think that the illusion of a loop only exists from the perspective of the travelers who are seeing the events repeated. Those are the only people that are noticing there's any sort of loop happening. Nobody else is, is, is it happening to, and it only is happening to people who travel back in time, of course, because they're going to have two different perspectives of a situation, especially when they meet one another, they both have their, their own perspective of it. So those two things will definitely happen because they're there, they're happening, but it's not like they're going to keep happening over and over again. It just happens once. It's like a linear line and it's lived from perspective to perspective. Like I have my perspective of where this podcast began and you have your perspective of where this podcast began. Um, of course, we're not traveling in time though. Does that, I don't know. I, that makes sense to me. Did, did I clarify myself? Okay. 
No. It makes sense. <laughs> I think it's just super hard to grasp onto because we do have characters like with Charlotte and Elizabeth, for instance. You know, we have Charlotte being born, then Elizabeth being born, and then Charlotte being born. So it's just, since we don't know also which one happened, you know, it's kind of like chicken and egg. <laughs> how do sure, you plot sure. these things? How do you plot these things out? Exactly. And how do you understand them? But I like, I guess the part I like about this, about this theory is it makes sense to me that, um, you know, we have this, we have this idea of Schrodinger's cat and that, and that it depends on the person seeing it. The person has to open the box to see what the oh, fate is. That again. Okay. Yeah. So I guess that the thing is, we are watching this show. So in a way, we're the person watching the Schrodinger's cat experiment when we're watching the show. Because we're watching it. This thing happens with this loophole and Claudia has the conversation. They go into the origin world and they fix it. And that it's in a way dependent on us as the viewer to see that for that to become a reality hmm. that existed kind of outside of the loop because we're seeing it. And that theory is in a way uh, supported by the fact that Marta and Jonas when they are about ready to go into that third world, they look out at the audience as if we're there and they're seeing <laughs> us and they're like, oh, you see me, we see you. Okay, we can proceed. Wow. And like without us as viewers watching this they extra time, it wouldn't happen. So we help save Wyndon. Yeah, and we're continuing to. We're, we're making people... We're getting people involved, people like Nate and my sister who have never seen it. They're they're helping out Wyndon. <laughs> I think it's neat. The show is almost like a Rorschach test is because when you that's something else I wanted to go back on too. when you were talking about the Stargate and you were like, you know, people see different things in the Stargate. Mm -hmm. It's like, sure, we all have our different theories. And it's kind of like, what is your theory? <laughs> about the Stargate because it depends on like what your perspective is of how you feel about that Stargate. Um, so yeah, I think it's kind of a neat Rorschach test. You could look, you could look at that from any perspective of this show and like, it kind of says something about you, um, the viewer as to like what kind of conclusions you draw. Like I've, I'm still stuck on like, this is just one linear thing happening. And in my mind, the proof of that is is with Adam and Eva when they meet and Adam does the trick where he doesn't have the bullets in the gun. And mm -hmm. Eva's like, you're supposed to kill me. This is, not, this is new. This is all new stuff now, mm -hmm. um, which is true because she knows that she dies at that point, not because she's experienced death. She doesn't remember Adam walking in this room at this time at any point in time. She just knows that she dies because she walks in on her body. And so, she, and she knows that Adam is the one that kills her. She just knows that from when she was a child and she experienced finding her body. 
So that's how she knows. It's not because she remembers. It's because she experienced it from her own perspective as a younger person. It makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it. the reason it might not make sense or not convince somebody okay. is because you don't say it. You know, it'd be one thing if she said that isn't how it happened. But she says. That's what happens every time, you know, so it's not she alludes to that by saying that there's more than one time. You know, the fact that she adds that in, I think, is where people would have a sticking point. It's not like she's okay. just saying, that's not what happened that one time <laughs> last year or like, you know, so many <laughs> years ago. She says specifically every time. And plus, there's like people like Claudia that keep saying, and it happens over and over again in my world and in your right. world. And you see, that's why like, I feel like I'm the one that has to be convinced otherwise because I'm a strict believer in this linear line and like the show itself and the characters themselves are telling me it's a loop. And this mm -hmm. other book that I love that's a time travel book called Rant by Chuck Palahniuk. It deals in time travel. And in that book too, everything's a loop that just keeps happening over and over and over again. And people remember their past lives. And it's like, I, as a reader, am like, mm, that doesn't make sense to me. Like, <laughs> like I like this book a lot. I think it's wonderful, but I don't agree with what you're saying about this, this loop happening over and over again. And here's dark doing it. And they're telling me, they're saying, this mm -hmm. is a loop, Steve. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't think so. Maybe I'm mm -hmm. stubborn. I don't know. Um, Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's just that, that that's what my Rorschach test tells me yeah well we think about the image of tan house with the piece of paper he takes the piece of paper and he bends it and yes. he says here it is now yes. whether if you're traveling on that piece of paper you could go through you could touch everything on that paper one time or you could do a loop-de-loop -loop and do it over and over again. You know, like you ride the roller coaster one time, you ride the roller coaster most, multiple times. Unless those realities are all distinct and different, then it really still becomes one time because it's a repeat. So that's why I told you I feel like I'm kind of agnostic about this issue <laughs> because it's, it's kind of like when people say, well, what do you think the end of the world is really going to be like? I like I'm I'm comparing mm -hmm. this to like, you know, as a Christian, people will say like, well, what do you sure. think that that the end of days is going to be like or what will things mm -hmm. like be in heaven? And I'm kind of at the end of the day, I kind of say like, I don't know. And so it's like <laughs> <laughs> And nobody really knows if it's one time or a loop. But you can find support for both positions in the show. And that's kind of interesting to talk about that they left. Like you said, they like ambivalence. So probably mm -hmm. Bo and Yanta put this in here on purpose to be something mm -hmm. people could people could discuss. And that the, everybody we would all be puzzling over their show for decades and hundreds of years from now. It's working so far. I mean, <laughs> that's some refreshing stuff to hear you say. Um, Cause yeah, yeah. I've, 
I've dabbled in Christianity myself and uh, I had like really interesting feelings. Like I was baptized as an adult and I just had like, you know, I've like you, I've never been exactly sure, you know, there's never been like no like positive assurances. Like I'm absolutely sure that, you know, this God exists and this is what the path is. And this is what happens after we die. I've never been sure. Um, I don't see how anybody could be positive about it, but at that time I was, I was younger then maybe like 20 years younger than I am now. And I was played with this idea that everybody else who was in the church that was a Christian was in on it. They knew like they, they were positive of what their faith was and like, they were just sure of it and they just acted the part. And I was just convinced it, it, it took me like getting to know these people to realize that I was wrong about that, that like I was projecting that on them that like, Oh, so like to be a Christian means that you absolutely have to believe this. And if you don't believe it, then you're not allowed to call yourself a Christian. Um, I realize now that's nonsense, but for at one point mm -hmm. I did believe that. So I was kind of questioning, like, am I a Christian? Like, I don't, I don't know, you know, and I still don't know to this day. And I feel refreshed to know that like, not just you, I mean, you today just now helped refresh me, which I like, but you know, people through my life that I've met, um, that I've thought like were just the strictest Muslim or the strictest, you know, Jewish person that was, you know, upright and had 100% faith. Then you start talking to them and you realize that, you know, they have their doubts and they, question things and they feel sure one week and they feel not so sure the next week. And <laughs> that's just how it goes. Um, tangent for yeah. you, Lindsay. There, there has to be, there has to be room. There has to be room for doubt in there. Otherwise faith doesn't mean much. You know, you have to, it's never, it's never a one and done and you understand everything exactly right. You're always remaking yourself that way. But, um, sure. let's get back to dark. <laughs> I wanted to do, to pro approach the Stargate scene from a different, slightly different angle. One of the, okay. one of the things I was talking to you about was the people in the Stargate. Remember how I mentioned that Mikkel and Michael are in there and Katarina. So mm -hmm. I wanted to just read this uh a, a commentary on that scene that i got it's from the it's from the review that i read to you steve from um the other recap that i sent to you and i can't remember who the person was but i you mentioned it was very cynical but i found this oh, part not this. cynical yeah. <laughs> and i really okay. liked it so uh, she, or the writer says, I've previously discussed chosen ones and the various soul connections between characters over time. In the season two episode where Marta and Jonas have sex for the first time, Katerina and Mikkel are lying in bed together in the next room while Ulrich and Hannah have sex downstairs. Is this ringing a bell to you? It's from also this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So... That's it's from the favorite episode again, <laughs> the one where Jonas goes back and stops his father. So Martin yeah. and Jonas having sex for the first time, Katarina and Mikkel 
lying yeah. in bed together. Ulrich and Hannah have sex downstairs. I suggested then that we were being shown the true soulmate bonds. Right. It appears they are a soulmate cluster with Ulrich and Hannah on the periphery. Though Hannah isn't on the bridge, she gets the last visual and last word of the season. She is still the all-mother goddess of this, this universe, and her son won't be denied his place in it. Zeus slash Ulrich is represented in the final scene by the lightning and thunderstorm. Just what does he want hmm. Torben to continue hiding from the others? Katarina, Mikkel, Jonas, Marta, and the Unknown are all present in the Time Bridge. This They call it the Time Bridge, not the Stargate. Marta is pregnant with the Unknown. Katarina and Unknown are each only represented once. They are the next closest bonds to Jonas and Marta after Mikkel, which is comforting in the case of the Unknown, given the way those relationships appear in the material world. All five characters sacrifice their lives for others. Katarina dies for Ulrich and Mikkel. Like his parents, the unknown dies the savior's death, destroying himself and the worlds to save them. I expected the bridge to go to three worlds and that there would be a third person on the bridge with Marta and Jonas. I'm surprised that it's Mikkel, but now that he's there, it makes complete sense for him to be for it to be him. He's close family to both Marta and Jonas and has a close, loving bond to both. He died so that Jonas could live on the Prime World, and Marta and Jonas conspired to keep him alive on the Alt World. So, I just yeah, thought that was really beautiful. That absolutely is. Now, that was all happening in World 1. Well, right. they're comparing, yeah, they're comparing the scenes from this episode to yes. the Stargate scene. They're drawing yes. a connection. Well, what I'm asking, though, is like, because I'm really like um, getting like a clear vision now. Like you're saying, so Jonas and Martha upstairs in the room, and the room next to them is where Katarina and Nicole are. Mm -hmm. And that is all our five Stargate participants. On the top floor, think about that too, because, you know, the, the unknown is being conceived. So you were talking about Ulrich and Hannah as well. And I'm not trying to like discount anything you were saying, but I was thinking, mm -hmm. I don't really see how they tie in here, especially Ulrich. I mean, of course they tie in, but they're, you know, they're, they're having intercourse too, but they're downstairs. And I was like, well, wait a second. Everybody's downstairs. The only people that are upstairs are our five Stargate crew. And that almost kind of makes sense. You know, we can tie it back in with Christianity if you'd like that. They're like above everybody else. It's kind of like they're in their on their own plane on that bridge and everybody else is kind of below them. Mm -hmm. That's what I, that's what I'm envisioning in my mind anyway. Yeah, they're drawing they're drawing some 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 wild things, but I I just like the fact that um you know, who's in the Stargate and then but they're trying to say they, you know, they go more into this episode 2.6 thing in that episode recap, they talk about these people having 
these are the people that have the strongest connection actually. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't agree with all of it, but it was interesting to say like, oh yeah, Hannah does, you know, she gets brought in the final episode and then, so there, it's a reach to like, to draw that. But I think they just were trying to find the connections between these two important episodes. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I absolutely do agree with the whole thing about the people that are in the bridge and that being important. I still don't understand the, the statement about uh, the unknown dies a savior's death, destroying him and the worlds to save them. But I guess maybe they're referring to the apocalypse. They must be because like when he turned the key in the, um, the nuclear plant during that key moment, he must have died. Well, I thought that's what I thought too, but we see he's the old man. Uh-huh. There's the old man unknown. So the yeah, the old man unknown, unknown is with the is with the little boy, and then yeah. he's like in a different world, and they're both turning the keys. Yeah, I d- I don't have enough um research <laughs> under my belt. Yeah, to the, like un- <laughs> answer the unknown that. is a mystery too. Like I still don't understand if there is just one time. How do we have the three unknowns? Um, that's mm-hmm. something I. It's a really somebody is gonna have to write a Reddit post about. How we got three <laughs> forms of the unknown. <laughs> that could be some some damning proof that the uh, that the loop actually is secular <laughs> and not a one time thing. Let's just ignore I mean, it for could... right now, then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want my mind blown again because it's already been blown a few times this episode. <laughs> yeah. So I think. That's really all the fodder I have. I did want to ask you, like, yeah. when you're, what does this all mean? What does this show mean to you? You know, what are the main themes you see in the show? We've already talked about Christianity, <laughs> so let's 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 keep going deep. Like, when you, okay, if you were to say, like, what is this show about to you? Like, what are some things that come to mind? I mean, if I were to like to try, try to wrap it up like in a sentence, which is like when somebody asks me what dark is about, I usually tell them it's a show about time travel and the desire to change the past. And usually that's all I say. Um, but that is like the sticking point for me is this is a time travel show. And I think anybody who is interested in time travel, especially somebody who would be so interested in time travel that they would write a show about it and, you know, have this intricate web of characters that are involved in time travel. I think anybody who is interested in time travel is um, maybe a person that is has something that they see in their past that they that wants to be changed. Or maybe it's a person that thinks that like, Um, there, there is a cycle that like, I can get things better the next time around. I think it's just a compelling, um, subject. And that's the first thing that comes to my mind is time travel and the desire to change things. And I think I've made it clear that like, you know, the most effective way to make change is just to start a conversation with somebody. It's not to you know, sit here and wrench about what you should have done, you know, years ago. It's like, what can you do now to like help yourself? 
but you know, in our desires, we always want to like go back and say, Oh, if I could have done that differently, you know, things would be better for me now, or things would be so much different or et cetera. Um, that's the main, my main takeaway is just change and the desire to make it. Mm -hmm. And that's just surface level stuff. That's not even really going deep. Yeah. <laughs> what would your surface level stuff be if somebody were to like ask you like what you think? Um, Sadly, I only have deep stuff. Oh, okay, good. Well, I do too, but <laughs> I wanted to start small. I don't have any, sur I mean, surface level, I would say the show is about grief. If I was going to do. Right. That's the next thing I wrote down too. <laughs> an exploration. It's like a sci-fi sci exploration of grief. Yeah. But yeah, I just well, speak had on that. Some, that's that. No, I, I would rather speak on my deep things, my deeper. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought that was. Yeah. I, I mean, I've going, already talked. I, I mean, I've already talked it. about like grief and how you know how this show helped me process a lot of grief. So I talked about that in the very first episode. That mm -hmm. it's quite for whatever reason, it's very comforting to watch this show when you're going through hard times. The same way as you. Know, Mike Flanagan stuff is comforting getting to see, you know, his lens is usually horror, but he explores those same kinds of dark secrets in your family. And yeah. But I'll, I'll do some deep dives now, if you don't mind. I'd love it. Okay. So um, the first theme I had was, free will versus determinism the characters have different point of views on sure. if they can change things or not which you kind of already talked about i guess uh it's the will of claudia that breaks the cycle but part of the cycle trauma and suffering happened because one person aka many people <laughs> refused to let things go and their desire to exert control, exert suffering on everyone in the town for hundreds of years. So I feel like the show seems to be saying that you can change things, but you should always stop to think about the repercussions for that. And hmm. for Claudia, you know, she was the strongest. She was just the person with the strongest will. So she got what she wanted, which was for Regina to be safe. Now, I could probably make an argument why Regina isn't the most important, but for Claudia, she was, and Claudia was the strongest in the queen. So at the end of the day, she was the one that got her reality pushed forward and everybody else's reality and desires got pushed as underling things around underneath hers desire. You wanted to talk about more themes of the show because I only talked about the time travel part of it and the desire to change the past. Change the past. Yeah, what else? Yeah. You, what else you got for us besides the free will? Okay, generational trauma. Oh, okay. Uh, whatever trauma does not get resolved gets passed on to the next generation unless something sure. interrupts and says no. Even when parents tried to protect their children from ugly things, and I thought of Charlotte and Peter. They were trying to protect their kids from the fact that their marriage was over. They were sleeping. They were having a civil partnership, I guess, living <laughs> together mm -hmm. and burying 
all of that stuff that was happening. The ugliness has a way of coming out and manifesting in a different way. And it was impacting oh. Francisca big time. Sure. It's better to handle things honestly instead of hoping things go away or pushing them under the rug. And there's a lot of um, aspects of like, um, like animal nature that lends itself to that too. I'm thinking about like experiments they do like with mice where they'll have like um, a white piece of cheese and a yellow piece of cheese and the white piece of cheese will shock you and the yellow piece of cheese you can eat. And so after a few generations of mice go by, eventually no mice even want to touch that white one that shocks them. Not because they've been shocked, but because their parents have been shocked and their grandparents have been shocked. So that's been passed down like in their DNA, maybe not in their DNA, but it's been passed down like in somewhere in their nerve core that you don't touch that because it's been passed down from generations. Mm -hmm. So that's like something that's like scientifically proven through like awful methods of like torturing animals. <laughs> but yeah. science has like proven that like these things can be like these intangible things can be passed down to your offspring right. besides just like a mole or a cleft lip, you know, you'll have, <laughs> um, you know, sadness issues or et cetera. Mm -hmm. I guess the clearest example of this might be with Katerina and her mother, Ooh. the abuse that her mother put on her. And then mm -hmm. that abuse sort of lingers in her sure treatment does. of Regina. Mm -hmm. And in World 2, we joked she got therapy and got a therapy bob and <laughs> seems to have resolved some of that and she seems to be more stable. So that was her dealing with her trauma and then she didn't have to pass that on to her kids. But I just think that's a clear example. And then mm -hmm. um, the infidelity between Trant and Yana again gets passed to Ulrich. So there's just things that don't, these family secrets, if they aren't dealt with and addressed, then they just get passed on to the next generation and just, they come out in other ways and impact your kids. I wonder if um, World 2 Helena, who was um, Katerina's mom, might have had a different fate herself. And mm -hmm. maybe she you know, wasn't traumatized as a child. Therefore world two Katarina wasn't quite as, you know, high strung because world yeah. one Katarina, even though, you know, we basically thought she was a good mother, but yeah, she wailed off on Regina. She always had like these microaggressions that you would point out like with Mikkel and like, I would be like, Oh, she's just being funny. But I think she really was, you know, had a lot of anger issues and they came out in these really strange ways. And then she like went off, she came into the bunker and like went off on everybody. Mm -hmm. That's when she won my heart. Um, <laughs> that's, that makes the a smack, lot of sense. The smack on the back of the head, even though it's exactly. not as, right. you know, it's not as hurtful, you know, it is still means Mickle's getting hit on the back of the head a bunch of times. That's right. He probably didn't like it. So trauma, the next theme I picked out was selflessness is the key. 
any hope comes from selflessness and sacrifice. In order for Jonas and Marta to break the cycle, they had to put others' needs in front of theirs. They laid down their lives and existence to make the nightmare end. At times, Jonas does try to help others. He wants to help Mikkel, but then the stranger stops him from doing this because then he would never exist. But that's exactly what needed to happen. As sad as this is, the show seems to agree with Jonas's statement that he and Marta are wrong. They are the mistake. So that's a little bleak there at the end. But I think <laughs> the, the, the hope there is that the selflessness and Claudia sees this too. Yeah. She wants to save. She feels guilt that she wasn't a good mother to Regina. And so she's able to, to help her at the end. And so any of the goodness that happens in the show, it's because somebody's putting another person's need in front of theirs. That's the first person I thought of was Claudia and Regina, because it seems like this whole thing is like based around Claudia <laughs> trying to like make a better world for Regina. Um, and in turn for herself, maybe, I don't know. It's interesting how earlier in this very same podcast, we were talking about Jonas and you were saying like from his perspective, he was doing things that benefited him. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, he was very me central at that time, but now <laughs> we're talking about the selflessness. I just think that's an interesting parallel that yeah. we've turned 180 on that. But yeah, um, I'm trying to think who else. Uh, I know there's at least one character that always acts selflessly and it's like in their nature and it's like, not not clicking with me so i'm not mm -hmm. catching it i'm sorry <laughs> well even michael kills himself the reason he does it is there. for his son yeah yeah but i'm sure there are other <laughs> there are other instances that we're not um we're not able to pull from right now but um there obviously is i'm yeah. thinking about hannah how she's always kind to other people and she doesn't have to do it She's not really to benefiting strangers. herself. She's yeah, always kind yeah. to strangers. If, if you're her son or her <laughs> lover, then forget about it. But, mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, she um she did act in that that sort of way. And Tanhouse, the the o, the OG Tanhouse, like he did all this like for his Charlotte. That was like his goal was to like win his own Charlotte back way back in the 1800s. So he was, mm, I don't know. You could, you could look at that a different way. You could say like, I want my Charlotte back for me. So she will make me feel better. So I'm just yeah. assuming that it's like selfless that he's doing that. But I think it falls along the lines there. Yeah. And I guess Peter dying for his daughter too. Well, that's a really fighting sad for her. Idea. Yeah. Till the very yeah. end. <clears throat> And so then the, I just had one more theme to never make yourself the main character of the story. This goes with <laughs> the previous bullet point. Jonas spends three seasons of television believing the story is about him only to discover he's a side character in someone else's story. We all suffer, but never believe your suffering is greater or more important than anyone else's. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I'm a really me-centric person, I suppose. <laughs> like, I mean, it's true. I mean, I, I, I'm kind and I do think about other people, but I, no matter what, I want to be happy. I want to be comfortable. Mm -hmm. So if me 
um, being kind to my family and helping them succeed helps me to be happy and succeed. It's almost like a, a selfish endeavor to like be kind to everyone so that I can have happiness. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think about, it's not always about, um, I guess maybe a more sensitive way to, to, to say this would be that I'm thinking back at that conversation Jonas had with Inez and remember how he says, everybody's fine and I'm wrong. Yes. And okay. sometimes you cause more of your own suffering because you fail to see the bigger picture. Yes, you are suffering. You have something you're dealing sure. with. But the person next to you is also dealing with some pretty tough stuff as well. And sometimes, sometimes I think what leads to a lot of our feelings of like – um oh, why is this happening to me? Okay, well, mm -hmm. are you, maybe instead of focusing on yourself, turn to the person next to you and see what they're dealing with and not saying yours won't be as bad. It's, it's not a comparison game, but at the same time, we all suffer. We all have things we're dealing with. They always say um, the, person, the person next to you is dealing with a battle you can't even see. And so right. that would lead to like more kindness and empathy and that we shouldn't always so part of part of being content or feeling more peace with life is realizing yes you're suffering but you're not the only one who's suffering and i think if jonas had understood that maybe he wouldn't feel as put upon that he's the only one that's having problems and everybody else's life is great and that's just not true right yeah, I want to take this back to dark, but you know, now that we're talking about these themes, I want to bring it back on myself again. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, it's something that I struggle with too sometimes, you know, just, just sadness, depression, and sometimes it's overwhelming. Something that I've learned, and I've learned this from someone else, it was just a very simple statement, but it just stuck with me. It's like, what's going on in my head? during those times is like, you know, I'm not good enough for these other people. Like everybody thinks I suck, et cetera, et cetera. But in reality, I'm just a guy in a chair sitting there. That's all I am. Like I can have all these negative thoughts and I can think about all my failures from 15 years ago, but really I'm just a guy in a chair. And <laughs> if, if I, if I want to make anything happen, then I have to get out of that chair. I can't just mm -hmm. sit there and contemplate because um, there's more going on than just me. Exactly like what you were saying. Um, mm -hmm. Because even though like I might be sitting here in my head, like thinking about an incident 15 years ago where I feel like I was a bad father, you know, chances are if I ask Caleb about that same incident, he's like, I don't even remember that. <laughs> it's like that didn't even register with mm -hmm. me. Cause that has happened before where I'm like, I'm really sorry about this one time that you were et cetera, et cetera. And he's like, I don't know. I was just playing with Josh. That's all I was doing that day. Mm -hmm. And so we, we create these situations in our mind, but really it, it's only our own perspective. We got to really zoom out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's exactly what I'm saying here. And, and mm -hmm. also, knowing 
you know, when you sharing your story is making me think well, depression can be so isolating too. You feel like sure. nobody can understand what you're going through, but sometimes, sometimes again, there is somebody that knows what you're going through and can relate. And just mm-hmm. knowing that can make you feel not so alone. Um, but, you know, going back to the characters in dark too, mm-hmm. that, they made things worse because they didn't want to let things go. Ah. And the harder thing to do sometimes when something sad happens is to grieve. And grieving means you have to, you know, let go, whatever that, whatever that means. That's, that's, that can be such a over said statement, but (laughs) you have to deal with the grief and accept that this has happened and move on. And none of the characters were really willing to do that because they made themselves the center of the story instead of saying, you know, this is terrible, but it's happened. So what what do I now have to do? Like, how should I live my life? Instead, they focused all their energy into trying to change the past because they weren't willing to face the reality sure. of their present. And that takes a certain level of courage to do that. It does. Yeah. I don't have a follow-up for you on that. I'm just, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah. Well, has this inspired you to, to, to find some more deep themes, Steve? Well, obviously, yes. I mean, because the, the only <laughs> themes that I, that I wrote down were like the time travel, the desire to change the past, the grief of loss. Mm-hmm. And then I just had like a bunch of just random, you know, cool foreshadowing stuff. So <laughs> I, I really want to go back and look at the clocks and mm. Tannhaus's um shop. Uh I want to go back and pay more attention when they get really dense and they're they're talking about really deep subjects, um, you know, science theory, even the the Ariadne stuff. Um a lot of that was, you know, guiding us in the right direction too. But some of it went over my head. So I'd like to go back and revisit some of that stuff too. Mm. That that's actually a play that actually exists that I I, I wouldn't mind because I like those themes. Yeah, you know what this is making me think of, Steve. Hmm. Is see now you're in the position that I was when we started the podcast. So okay. we could you could start your own loop now. You could be, you could be like find another sweet child that like you talked wanted to do with your sister. <laughs> And then you would be the you would be the Lindsay, and there would be a new Steve, and that you would have to show them the light of all the things in the show and go back to the things you missed, because you know even me I just like I the clocks I found that so we all know you could go back and start the show all over again and have the new perspective now that now that I've watched this whole show now I can go back and and watch it again so you could. You could start dark pod- podcast, duh, and start it all over again. Have it your own loop, but you just be in the uh, other position. I I like this idea a lot. I've actually <laughs> thought a really fun podcast idea would be just to have a different guest on every week and make them watch Dark season one, episode one, and that's just all I do is just talk to everybody about that oh. one episode. And just hopefully get them into the show. That would be the point. 
but then just get everybody's different perspectives of it. My sister does not like this. Like, I don't even know if she's going to be able to come on the podcast because she didn't make it past the first couple of scenes of the show. This is not for her. This oh, is cathartic dear. for people like you and me and for Heather. Like we like these, these like heavy themes. Um, it helps us, you know, just gets us wrapped into it. My sister mm -hmm. likes to watch reality shows that are like, you know, just silly and just over the top personalities. And that helps her like mm -hmm. forget her reality. And that helps her escape. Whereas a show like this just makes her feel sad and she doesn't want to feel sad. <laughs> so it's not mm -hmm. for everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But yeah, you're inspiring me. I'm going to, I'm going to go off on another wing here. I know next week we're not going to be talking dark. We're doing something fun next week where we're bringing in our boy, Nate. Hey, dark gonna... is fun. Dark is fun. Steve. You said we're going to be doing something fun. <laughs> is that kind of like the, is that kind of like how I led that sentence trying to say that? Is that the insinuation that oh, I made that, that dark is not fun? <laughs> I, I, let me tell you, I've got to tell you a quick story. Oh my yeah. gosh. Back when I was a children's librarian that worked in an actual library. I'm still a children's librarian. I just don't work the library. <laughs> but I once heard a parent make a terrible mistake verbally. And I was like, <laughs> they said, let's go to story time. And then we can do something fun afterwards. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, what are you teaching your children? That is I didn't backwards. say anything to her, but I thought that was, I thought that was really funny. I was like, now your child's not going to think story times. Not fun. Now, good job, mom. You just told your children that the library is boring, but go ahead. I'm hoping that child grows up and tells like their <laughs> friend, like, can you believe my mom said this to me? Like story time isn't fun. <laughs> that is crazy. But yes, we're going to do something equally as fun. We're going to be podcasting, but we're going to be, um, the plan is to watch Jesus Christ Superstar going back on the Christianity theme and me and Nate and Lindsay are going to discuss that film not necessarily recap it this is for yeah this yes. is for our music movie series as well maybe we're not talking about it because of christianity although <laughs> that theme might come up but we're gonna do a few movies that are music movies movies that have connected to music somehow so that'll be the first that's one. right yeah yeah and Lindsay, did you have any um any plugs for this week or anything you want to direct people towards the only plug I have for this week is if you have an opportunity, please go out and see the movie Origin. I feel like this oh. is a really important movie and it's worth seeing. And then my, 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 my worry now is somebody told me if I say something's an important movie, they're going to think it's not a good movie. It's just important. <laughs> just like we just used the word fun to not describe dark, but right. it's an important movie, but it's also a good and beautiful movie. So I just encourage you to go out to the theater if you can, or it should be available on streaming now. Um, not sure on a particular platform. You might have to rent it, pay that actual $3.99 on Amazon, God forbid. Oh, no. But <laughs> see that one if you can. I haven't done a full review of it anywhere, but I just I think it's a really beautiful movie and an important movie. Are you going to be doing a review of it? Sounds like you should. Well, I put it on my top movies of the year list. So I did a short oh, okay. capsule review. 
I may do a podcast discussion rather than do a review just because there's a lot of things to chew on. Yeah, it's based on the a best-selling book called Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. That book is a nonfiction about the system of caste and how she believes it connects different periods of history that don't seem like they're connected, like the Jim Crow laws, Nazi Germany, the Dalits in India or the Untouchables, and slave ships and lynchings. So different periods of injustice in history. But rather than make a nonfiction documentary that would be exactly like the book, they made it into a narrative feature about the author's life, what was going on in her life when she wrote the book. And so it goes into her, um, the challenges she was dealing with at the same time and how those challenges kind of led to the shape that the book took. So it's just a very fascinating story, but it's, it's going to, I feel like it's going to let people know about some things going on in the world that they might not have ever heard of before. Mm. So, yeah. That's what films do. I like that. Okay. Mm. We'll take that one home then. Origins. I, is, oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I, I think I just said it wrong. Is it origin or origins? Origin. Singular. Or, singular. Okay. I'm glad I clarified that. So nobody's watching the wrong movie now. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I don't have any plugs myself, just this podcast and Lindsay's podcast, one of my stories. You always need to be checking out her website and checking that podcast out too. You should be subscribed to both. I hope you are. I am. Um, but yeah, that's all we have for you this week. We'll see you next week when we talk about that Jesus Christ superstar. And until then, I hope everybody finds water and shade and shoes. Lindsay, thank you for joining me. And you always find some water, shade, and shoes as well. You too, Steve. You too. Thank you. Me too. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>